Well, hey everyone, my name is Alita and I'm on the teaching team here at The Way and I am so thrilled to be with you today as we pick back up in the book of Ephesians. And for the last two weeks, we have sort of pressed pause on our Ephesians series in order to focus on Easter, to, to rightly focus on Easter. And now we're just gonna pick right back up where we left off at the end of Ephesians at the end of chapter three. And if you have been tracking along with us through this series, um, I think that you'll remember a few weeks ago, we talked about at the end of chapter one, Paul prays for this church plant in Ephesus. And here's what he prays. He prays that they would know some things. I hope that you remember that. And mainly he prays that he wanted us to know God. That's what he prays. Not just that we would have ideas about God, but that we would actually know him. And now here at the end of chapter three, we're gonna see Paul pray again. And we are gonna now pray that, or Paul is now going to pray that we would experience God. So at the end of chapter one, he prays that we would know God. And now today he's gonna pray that we would experience God. And I don't know about you, but I just, man, I wanna know God, but I also wanna experience him. I don't know if that lands with you at all, but like, I, I wanna experience all that he would have me experience here on this side of heaven. Like, I don't just want the good stuff to happen to me once I get there. I wanna experience him here, the fullness of him here. So turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter three. And you know, just before we get into our text this morning, I actually just wanna pray over us. So Father, we do come before you this morning and we ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would teach us about you. And we don't just wanna know about you, we wanna know you and we wanna experience all that you would have us experience, Father. So we, we just come and we posture ourselves before you and we just ask you to speak. We invite you to speak. Would you be our teacher? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Ephesians chapter three, beginning in verse 14, and this is what it says. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Okay, I know we've just gotten started, but I wanna press pause right there because I want us to notice something that we could very easily skip over here, and that's Paul's posture. Paul is praying on his knees. I wonder if you noticed that. He was kneeling. Now, the reason that this is worth um, pausing and, and taking notice of is because this was not the typical prayer posture at this time. For, for a Jewish person, the typical posture was to be standing with your, um, your hands lifted and with your palms up. Standing, hands lifted, and palms up. So it was significant here that Paul is saying, listen, I am not praying for you the normal way here. I am praying and I'm on my knees for you. I am pleading for you. And this got me thinking about the importance of posture. And there is this reality, I, I believe, that uh, oftentimes our bodies really do reflect what's going on in our hearts. Like think about the last time you got mad while you were driving. What did you do? I remember what I did. I, I think I, I didn't say anything, but I just kind of went, oh, like I just threw my hands up in the air. I feel like I've used that example before and people are gonna think I'm a crazy driver. I'm not, I promise, I'm a kind, good driver, but you know, every now and again, you just get a little upset. And so I remember that and I wonder if you remember the last time you were driving or something that happened that kind of ticked you off 
how you responded, how your, your body responded, or even think about church right now. You know, I know that people are struggling with, with the online church thing. And gosh, if you're, if you're in BC, we've been doing this for like a year now. I understand it can be hard. And if you're anything like me, the hardest part can, can be during worship. It can be hard to, to get into worship over a screen, but I think that it's especially hard when I'm just like, you know, lounging on my couch in my pajamas with my cup of coffee and my blanket over my legs, and I'm just, you know, watching Jer or the guys leading worship. I think it's significant those times when I get off my couch and I posture myself in a way that actually leans into worship when I stand up and put my coffee down, maybe I've even gotten out of my pajamas. Listen, no offense to those of you who at this very moment are sitting with your pajamas on with your coffee and you're watching this service, that's awesome. I just wanna point out that sometimes our posture really does matter. And there can be something significant about entering in, including with our posture. For most of my life and my growing up years, I can recall that when I would wake up in the mornings every day without fail, I would walk into the kitchen and my dad would be sitting at our kitchen table with his Bible open and his journal, a little light in the dark usually, and he was praying every morning. My dad was also a pastor and a preacher, but you know, I didn't learn about the posture of prayer from my dad on any Sunday whenever he was preaching behind a pulpit. I learned it from him whenever I would see him in those mornings, just quietly, just him in the Lord, him positioning himself in humility before the Father. And I don't know that my dad even knew that I saw it because every morning I'd kind of come in and know, oh, I'm not gonna interrupt, and I'd kind of tiptoe away. But I learned so much about how I should posture myself before the Lord. Some of you might have read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, his, one of his novels, The Screwtape Letters. And in this, um, in this book, it's about Screwtape, who is a senior demon, and he's writing letters to his nephew, who's named Wormwood. And Wormwood is a younger and a less experienced demon, and so Screwtape is kind of mentoring him in the ways of humans. And so Screwtape um, writes one particular letter to Wormwood, and this letter is about the relationship between prayer and the bended knee. And here is what Screwtape writes to his nephew, Wormwood. He says, at the very least, they, the human beings, can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers for they constantly forget what you, Wormwood, must always remember, that whatever their bodies do affects their souls. Whatever their bodies do affects their souls. It's a powerful thing. So when it comes to prayer, please hear me today when I say we do not always have to pray, or sorry, we do not always have to kneel when we pray. But, and and I'm not trying to put that on you. Please, I'm not trying to put that on any of us. But I do want to suggest to us today that there might very well be times in our lives when it is good, when it is right, and maybe it is even necessary that we fall on our knees before a holy God in prayer for our posture to actually reflect what is happening in our hearts I mean, I can recall times in my lives where I could just, in my life where I could just hardly even stand up anymore. I was so broken over a certain situation. 
where I just had to get on my knees, sometimes I just lay flat out before the Lord and just, Lord, I just need you. I need you in this area. And I can't even stand up and pray about it. I've just got to be on my knees before you. You know, I, I have often wondered if we haven't just made prayer too casual a thing, if we haven't stopped treating God as, as the great I am, as the name above all names, and just started treating him like a buddy, like he's just our pal. And listen, he is our friend, absolutely, but he is also our king, our savior. And I just, I simply, I cannot fathom that when he brings me home, that on that day, I would have just, I just give him a side hug or a fist bump or just be casual about him with all I am in, in any way that I can kind of imagine it. All that I can figure is that I will just be flat out before him. When I finally see his face, I can't imagine I'll just be able to keep standing up in his presence. That I'd be on my knees or on my face before him. And what I want to encourage us in this, this or today is that we would be a people who would not be too proud to fall on our knees before a holy God. Oh, I pray that for us. So Paul is going to pray from his knees now that we would experience some things, as I said before. He's going to pray we would experience some things. And I hope you remember from last time, but you're going to see it again today, that Paul does not pray just some soft, timid little prayers. He prays boldly. He prays audaciously. So let's read beginning in verse 16. This is what he says. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So here's the first thing Paul prays that we would experience. It's strength, strength. And this word strength here is a word that means, um, it means to fortify. It means to brace. It means to, to reinforce. So my husband is, is a builder. And as I was reading this in Ephesians, I imagined the job sites of my husband's that I've, that I've visited. And in almost every house, or not almost, in every house he builds, he would want me to say every house he builds, they use reinforcements in the foundation and in the walls. And so why does a house need reinforcements? It needs reinforcements because of of unexpected conditions like wind or flooding or, or even soil erosion, which can happen under the foundation of a house in places that we just can't even see. What reinforcements do is actually, it actually girds a house so that it stays in place no matter what comes up against it. And I've been thinking about this because I don't know how many of you will remember this, but back in September of 2005, or at the end of August 2005, I was living in Mobile, Alabama when Hurricane Katrina hit. And this was the hurricane that hit um, the entire Gulf Coast, and including Mobile, where we were living, but it hit New Orleans especially hard. And New Orleans is a city that's surrounded by levees. And what the levees are designed to do is to actually keep water out. But when Katrina hit, the levees failed. 
They actually collapsed and the storm surge just rushed in and it devastated the city. I mean, it had tens of billions of gallons of of, um, the Gulf just rushed in and just devastated the city. And I was thinking about this because there is a difference between the job of a levy and the job of a reinforcement. A levy, it just holds something off. It just keeps things at bay. But a reinforcement or a brace, it is something that actually holds a structure even when a storm comes. So Paul isn't praying that God would just build a levy system around us and just never let things get to us. Much more what he's praying, he's praying that God would give us the kind of strength that reinforces us when the storm comes. Not if the storm comes, but when the storm comes. So that when we are up against something and we feel like toppling over, we will actually experience his power reinforcing us, bracing us, fortifying us. And listen, if we're gonna be the kind of people in today's 21st century culture who can stay the course, who won't get thrown off when tough things happen, who won't get thrown off when weird teachings start popping up, because they will. If we wanna be the kind of people who can stand strong in the midst of storms through the wind and though the waves threaten to overcome us, this is the kind of strength that we need to be praying for, something that braces us, something that reinforces us. Not just praying, that God would just hold things off from us like a levee system, but that God would just keep us intact, keep our foundation strong so that when the storm comes, He will hold us. And also recognizing that, listen, my strength alone and your strength alone won't cut it, will it? But you know, we try, don't we? I try, I try to do things in my own strength all the time, even though I know better try to do our jobs, our friendship, family, marriage, parenting, even ministry, God help us. But my encouragement is that we can and we should audaciously pray as Paul prays here, that God would strengthen us with his power, with his power. So let's keep reading here. And in verse 17, Paul prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So here's the next thing Paul prays they would experience. First it was strength and now it's Christ dwelling in our hearts. And this is so interesting. I just want you to just stick with me for for a moment because this word dwell is a very interesting word because in the Greek language, this was originally written in, in the Greek language, there's actually two words for the word dwell. And the first word is, I'm going to try to say this the best I can, peroikos, peroikos. And this is a word that means to just inhabit a place like you were a stranger, like an alien in a foreign land. It's kind of like, imagine like staying in a hotel. You know you're not going to stay there forever. You're just sort of stopping over. It's a temporary residence. That's what that first word for dwell means. But there's a second word for dwell, and it's this word, katoikeo, katoikeo. And this is the word Paul uses, katoikeo. And it's a word that means to settle down somewhere, to permanently inhabit, to abide. In other words, Paul is not just praying that Christ would temporarily abide in us. He's praying that we would experience Christ permanently abiding in us. 
that Christ would not just come into our hearts as a guest, but he, he just move on in, if I can say it that way. Like just put some pictures up on the wall, make yourself at home, Lord. That kind of permanent residence. And I'm not sure how else to say this, but listen, Jesus, does, he does not want to be a visitor in our lives. But I think sometimes we can treat him a little bit like this, right? Like we'll, we might, without even knowingly, have an attitude that says, yes, Lord, just, yes, I want you to, to abide in me. But here's the thing. You can come on in, but don't touch anything. Like don't mess with my stuff. I kind of like my life the way it is. And that mess over in that corner there, I know it looks like a mess, but, but I've got a handle on it. Don't, just don't, don't mess with it. I, I've got that, Lord. But I am convinced that if we started praying the way that Paul is praying, if we prayed Christ dwell in me, it would change some things. Because him living in us and dwelling in us, you know, we might have to, to, to deal with some stuff. He might have to do some redecorating, if I can use that term. Get rid of some garbage. Maybe find out that we're just like hoarding stuff in that back part of our heart. I think like the Lord would just say like, because Alita, I just can't dwell in you and not impact your whole life. I just can't do it. If he's gonna dwell inside of us, it's gonna take up the whole space. He wants to, to be in every part of our hearts, every part of our lives. And if we really started experiencing on a day-to-day basis, the reality of Christ dwelling in us, I do wonder how our lives would change. Like our words, the things that we watch, the things we read, the music we listen to, our relationships. Like I am just very convinced that this really is one of the most important prayers that we should learn to pray as the body of Christ, that Christ would come in and dwell in us, that he would make us uncomfortable with things that he's not comfortable with. It'll change everything. It'll change everything. So picking back up in verse 17, Paul prays this. He says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people or all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I know that's a lot, so I'm just gonna break it down a little bit. And here's basically the third thing that Paul is praying we would experience here, okay, is the extravagance of God's love. The extravagance of God's love. And I love, I love how he describes it. He says that God's love is wide and it's long and it's high and it's deep. In other words, it's just, it's just boundless. It's like Paul is using human words to, to try to quantify something that can't really be quantified. Paul knows that. It's almost indescribable. But just go with me here for a second. I wonder if you noticed that he prays that we would have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp this love. I want to suggest to us today that there is something about the depth of God's love that can uh, really only be fully experienced when we are in community. When Ryan and I first moved here, Ryan is my husband, we moved here, I wanna say about nine years ago from Alabama. We had three small kids and I just 
share a bit of a vulnerable story here with you. We were renting and it was costing us an arm and a leg. It was The cost of living here was just way more than down south and we were single income. And there was one month in particular, I remember I had just been on my knees before the Lord just asking him for help and um, because we needed groceries and we were needing rent money and, and it was just, it was a hard month. Nothing was happening and the day before our rent money was due, I remember being in my kitchen on my floor, on my knees, and I was just crying before the Lord, God, we, we need your help. Please, please help us. And I didn't even know how, what to ask for necessarily except help. And I kid you not, there was a knock on our front door and someone from our church was there who knew nothing about what we needed, by the way, and they were a little bit um, nervous, and they said, listen, I know this might sound kind of weird, but I've been praying, and I felt like God just wanted you to have this, and they handed me an envelope, and it was full of cash. It was exactly our rent money. I don't even know how to express to you how I felt in that moment. Like, I felt so loved, so taken care of. When I read about the width and the depth and the length and the height of God's love, I mean, if, if I could have quantified it in that moment, that is everything that I felt in that moment, that he had heard me, that he was taking care of me, of my little ones, of my husband, that he loved us. I mean, and all I could think is, God, you are just so wildly extravagant. I would have not even known to pray for this. I wouldn't have even known it. And listen, it was not just about the money because he could have done it any way he wanted to do it. But he chose to use someone else in our community who, by the way, was just as blown away because they showed up on our door like, listen, I don't know. This might be the weirdest thing I've ever done. And I was like, this is amazing. And then when they realized that they were meeting a need and God was using them to meet that need, they were just blown away, just as blown away as I was. And we just stood there on my front porch and we just, you know, were not bubbling crying. We were just kind of in awe, just in awe. We just couldn't get over God. A few weeks later, money was still tight. It was just kind of always tight at the time. And I had, I don't know, maybe $100 or so. And I went to the grocery store and I came out and I had done the coupon clipping thing. And I came out and I was so proud of myself because I had $50 left over from groceries. And that was literally like gold to me at the time. I mean, I was patting myself on the back and thinking how what this could go to. So I'm getting my car to leave and I pull up to this intersection and I see a woman off to the side, um, a homeless woman with her, her daughter. And you know, I felt it so clearly in my spirit in that moment that I was supposed to give her the money. And um, I just kept driving. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 I don't want to give her the money, Lord. I mean, I, I just argued with him in my car and I ended up pulling off into a parking lot and I sat there and I remember just crying because I, I knew, you have to understand, I, it's not like he audibly spoke to me. I just felt it in my spirit. And I could just feel him just pressing it on me. This, I was supposed to give it to her and this feeling was just not going away. And I sat in my car and I was like, but don't you remember, Lord, just a few weeks ago, how close we were, how close it was to not making it that month. And again, in my spirit, I just felt him kind of go, yes, I remember. Do you remember? 
Because I feel like I remember a little more clearly than you do, Alita. And so I started my car and I drove back to where the lady was and I found her and I gave her the money. And she was just bawling and crying and and I, and she was shocked and just kept saying, thank you so much and God bless you and thank you, thank you, thank you. And her daughter was there and she was just pointing saying, thank you, you don't, you don't know what, how this matters for us. And I just said to her, I want you to know how much God loves you. He stopped me and sent me to come and, and give this to you and he just wants you to know that he's got his eye on you and he's, he's gonna care for you. And this is just one small act of caring for you. And as I drove away from that scene, I really felt filled up to the fullness with God's love. Like it was amazing to receive the money that we needed for rent because it allowed me to feel God's extravagant love. But it was also amazing to be able to give money away. And it, maybe it was not as much as what we had received, but for us, that was everything I had in that moment. And it allowed me to not only exercise trust in God, but to extend God's love to someone else, to, to think that God would use me to bless somebody else. In both of those cases, feeling deeply, deeply loved. And I'm sharing those stories because I think they kind of help illustrate the joy of experiencing the depth of God's love when we're in community, in the context of community. I mean, can you just imagine that if we individually and as a church were really able to grasp God's immense love for us, how it would change our interactions with one another? Maybe we'd be a little less stingy we'd be much more willing to be his hands and his feet to one another. And again, this is not just, this is not about money. This is in all the ways that we can be God's hands and feet to one another. So Paul has prayed that we would experience him strengthening, Christ strengthening us, Christ dwelling in our hearts and in the extravagance of God's love. As we close, let's look at the last two verses of Paul's prayer here. This is what he says. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As I was studying this prayer this last week, I just kept thinking about the way that Paul prays and the words that he uses. And the word that just kept running through my mind over and over again was, had, was the word more. Like if you go back through the, all of these verses that we've gone through today, let's think about the words that, that Paul uses. He says, glorious riches, a love that's wide and long and high and deep, a love that surpasses knowledge. And now he's ending by saying, that God can do immeasurably more than we think is possible. I mean, the way he's describing everything about God is just prompting us to go, listen, he is so much bigger than we can possibly imagine. He can do so much more than we can possibly wrap our minds around. I have one quick last story. Years ago, again, this is at that, around that same time, Ryan and I were um, at our church, and I remember one Sunday our pastor preached a message that changed our life. And it, he asked a question. He said, are you praying too small? Are you praying too small? 
And I don't even remember what the whole message was about, but I remember he sent us home with homework, sent the whole congregation home with homework and said, hey, everybody go home and make a list of three prayers and start praying into them. Big, bold, audacious prayers. And so we sure did. Ryan and I went home that day. We made a list of three and we started praying into them. And when I tell you that God met every single one of those, and they were some big things. Like, let, who calls somebody and says, hey, can I buy you a house? That happened for us. Like, I would not have even known to pray for this kind of thing. Like, I have some immeasurably more stories. Those three prayers changed our lives. Our daughter came out of one, out of, one of those prayers. Changed our lives. So I just wanna ask you this morning, church community, what are you praying for? What are you, what could you audaciously be praying for? And in the same way our pastor years ago encouraged us, I wanna encourage you to do the same thing. Before the end of the day today, I wanna encourage you just to make a list of three big things, audacious things, bold things you wanna be praying for. And not just about yourself, for the city, for your family, for the church, for the global church, spend time each day, pray for them. And hey, if you can't think of anything, use, these ver- use what we've talked about today as a template. You could pray for some strength. You could pray for him dwelling in you. You could pray to know and experience the extravagance of his love. But whatever you pray for, I wanna encourage you that you would pray the way Paul prays. Because friend, there are battles to be won. There are strongholds to be broken. There are lives to be changed. Let's pray and then let's keep praying. Let's not get disappointed when tomorrow or the next day we don't see any impact. Let's keep on staying committed to prayer and let's let's not just depend on other people to do it for us. Let's pray like it matters, boldly, and not just for our sake not just so we can see God do some cool things and we'll have some cool stories, but let's pray this way for the sake of his name in our lives and in our city and in our country and in our generation, that much would be made of his name. As we close, I just wanna read these last two verses in Ephesians 3 out of the message version And this is what it says. It says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Amen.